Thank you, students, for that special music. That was wonderful. I always enjoy the chimes, and I haven't heard them in a while, so it was very, that was very nice. Today we have uh, part two of a series that pastors have been doing on forgiveness. And uh, the scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. And this is from the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh... Thank you for that scripture reading, and thank you to all the, the young people for uh, sharing the, the chime, the, the choir with us. I'm so thankful. It takes a lot of courage for them to come up here and do this. Thank you so much for uh, Miss Bobby for leading them in that, and um, thank you to everyone who's participated in the service thus far. Thank you all for coming. Uh, it's a great blessing to be here today. It's so good to see everyone. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce, um, our, as uh, Rick stated, this is part two of our, our sermon series on forgiveness. I wish I could go all the way to part four, um, but we're going to be cut for time uh, in the next few weeks with camp meeting and, and communion and such. But, um, so anyway, as, as I outlined last time, forgiveness is something that God is asking us to do, and it's for our own benefit. It's letting go of harsh feelings of bitterness and resentment actually only serves to harm ourselves. It's not something that is actually affecting the person that hurt us in any way, shape, or form. So God asks us to do this, and it's through his divine aid that we're able to do it. It's through, it takes a divine act, just like everything else in our Christian experience, it, everything that God asks us to do, it requires divine help to do so. So uh, we're going to go through today actually some more of the nuts and bolts. Matthew 18 outlines how we work through this process together as Christian believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's where we're going to start off today. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to be with us, and we will get into our sermon. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your many blessings. Thank you for always being with us and taking care of us. And dear God, as we open your word this morning, we're praying for, we're praying for uh, your presence. We're praying for your spirit to move in a mighty way, Lord, that you would bring about healing in our lives and in our relationships. We know that everything you ask us to do is for our own benefit. It's for our own edification. And so, dear God, we're praying for your spirit to convict our hearts, to convict our minds, to draw us closer to you. I pray that um, you would cleanse our hearts and minds of all unrighteousness, and that the words that are spoken this morning would come directly from your throne. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The human body is a scientific marvel. The way that all of the systems perfectly operate in unison, the human brain, our, our, our uh, central nervous system is the most complex computer system on the face of the planet. Anyone who works in the health field knows that our body is a very complex system that depends very much on each organ, each function, each system working in harmony with other systems in the body. 
Okay? Um, we have various organs that do different things. Uh, we have an autonomic nervous system that automatically works, hence the auto. The autonomic nervous system controls all the things that we don't think about, like digestion, respiration, heart rate regulation, things that just happen, and we don't have any idea how it happens. It just does. God has built that into our body, and we're dependent on these systems to function properly, or our body does not thrive, right? Um, we can think of uh, major organs. Obviously, we think of heart rate and how the heart pumps blood and oxygen, containing oxygen to our muscles, to our organs, to our brain, thus keeping everything going. Our brain, obviously, through the nervous system, is operating that. Our liver serves to function um, in several different ways, five major functions. It aids in its filtering the blood. It aids in digestion, metabolism, detoxification of our body, protein synthesis, storage of vitamins and minerals. The liver does a lot of things all by itself. If it's not working, the body becomes toxic and dies eventually. We have machines that aid uh, our, our lives today in this way, but without the machines... If one of our organs fails, uh, the body, especially one of these filtration organs like the, the liver or the kidneys, the kidneys are powerful chemical factories that perform various functions. It removes waste products from the body. It removes drugs from the body. It balances the body's fluids. Okay? Um, if it fails to function without the aid of uh, some sort of machine helping it, the body becomes toxic and dies. The same with the colon. If it doesn't filter or remove waste properly, the body becomes toxic, okay? All of these organs do what they're supposed to do, and if one of them fails, the system fails, and the body will die. The body will rapidly stop functioning. Or sometimes the body fights against itself. We call that an autoimmune disease, where the body's fighting against itself, and so, therefore, obviously, it's not operating at an optimum level. The body's not flourishing the way that it's designed to do. It's fighting against itself, and the human organism very much feels that and is often bedridden or feeling that in some major way where they're failing to thrive. They're failing to do what they were designed to do. The same thing can happen to a church. The Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ, each one of us serves to help the body in some way, but if there, is, if there is internal friction in the church, if there's dissension, if there is gossip, if there are quarrels or unforgiveness, which is what we're talking about today, the body, the church body, will not thrive and fulfill the mission that Christ ordained for it to do. So if there is any of these things existing in the body of Christ, and, and we're seeing these these things happening, the body fails to do what it was designed to do. The church's overall function depends on the quality of the relationships within the church. And I will also add the, it, the commitment to the church. Today we're going to go through the steps of forgiveness that Jesus outlined in Matthew chapter 18. And this is essentially how we're getting rid of waste in our relationships. Okay, These are the steps. 
God tells us to forgive each other. He doesn't tell us that and leave us, um, leave us without understanding how to do that. He gives us steps in how to go through that process in Matthew chapter 18. However, I've noticed in my Christian, my time as a Christian, uh, that seriously kind of came around when I was 17 or 18, maybe more like 19 or 20 years old, where I find that uh, Jesus' outline, is, as we'll get to it, we'll find that it's actually addressing people one-on-one. I find that actually what we tend to do is the person who is involved might actually be the last person to know that they've offended somebody else. They might actually have gone around and, and told 10 or 15 other people to garner support rather than just resolving the issue just between the two people as Jesus intended. <clears throat> If there's been an injury, it's not resolved. Um, And if we don't deal with it in this way that Jesus is asking us to, and the waste is not dealt with properly, what happens is things compound. And so if there has been, if they're harboring unforgiveness and resentment, and then somebody, maybe a year later, they say something the wrong way, and you still have not let go of that what happened before, you're just, that just continues compounding on top of you, and your resentment continues to grow. You can see how that would happen. Like, see, they said that again. They don't like me, whatever. There's this conflict going on in the relationship, and Jesus wants us to resolve those things. And he is there working in the midst of it all through this healing process to bring about change, to bring about healing in the middle of it all. He doesn't ask us to do things and then just say, there, you take care of it. He's very much in the middle of it all trying to bring about reconciliation. <clears throat> because resentment just continues to breed and continues to grow, and it's detrimental to our physical health, as we talked about last time. It's detrimental to our mental health. It's detrimental to our spiritual well-being. If we hold on to these things, it only serves to harm us, which is why Jesus is asking us to let go. Forgiveness, remember, forgiveness is letting go of harsh feelings of bitterness and resentment. That's what forgiveness is. We all make mistakes. We're all sinful human beings. We all do and say the wrong thing at the wrong time, even if we were well-intended. We can still offend somebody, still hurt somebody's feelings, even if we were well-intended in what we were trying to accomplish, okay? It happens. We're in a sinful world. But if we can learn to function and get rid of waste the right way and develop good relationships first in our home, and then that bleeds out into the church and into the community. We've got to develop good relationships with good communication and understanding that we're all in this together We're all seeking to be a part of Christ's kingdom, and we all want to be in harmony with God and with each other. It first comes with that that intention on both sides. Very simply, you know, when we, uh, as we get into Matthew 18, we, we find that when we're offended, we bring that thing, whatever that thing is, somebody said about us, hurt us in some way, we bring that to the person and we state, you know, What you did, what you said, that hurt me. That affected me in some way. And that gives both parties the opportunity to be reflective about, hey, yeah, I did that, I said that. They can either own up to that, admit it, 
And that's validating and healing for the person who was wounded, right? And it's, it's healing for the person who's being confronted because they need to know, oh, yeah, I need to keep my behavior in check, and I need to go to God for help to do that. <clears throat> it's a process. It's something that we learn. And it's easiest to outline this from my own experience, okay? When Emily and I got, first got married, um, we're coming from two totally very different homes, okay? Emily grew up in a multi-generational Adventist home. Um, it was not a perfect home by any stretch, but they were very far more open in their communication than the home that I grew up in, okay? They were, they were like I'm saying, it was not perfect, but they were able to, they loved each other enough that they were able to go to each other and express when they felt like there was a wrong done, something happened, this or that or the other thing. And they felt safe doing that. They felt safe like this person, I know this person cares about me and I can take this issue to them and I know that they'll respond in a good way. That's kind of a rule number one. There's got to be a feeling of safety that this person actually does care about me and that when I express my pain to them, they will respond in a positive way, one way or the other. I grew up in the opposite side, okay? We didn't discuss anything. There was no owning up to wrongdoing. There was no expressing care or sympathy for when something, when I harmed someone else. There was none of that. And so the home was always, because there was so much resentment inside of it, any time, any little brushing, you know, and you got all these open wounds all over you, proverbial open wounds, any little brushing, it's not been healed, you brush up against it and a whole fire, a huge, a huge fight breaks out because nothing was ever dealt with. Everything just got swept under the rug and we didn't actually walk through, talk through the steps of forgiveness that Jesus wants us to go through. It's, it's tough work at times. That's why marriage is so good for us. That's why having, having, uh, you know, gr- having a godly marriage where you can learn these steps. Like, for example, we first got married. We're coming from two totally different backgrounds. Okay, And so she's coming to me saying, hey, what you said in that way, after the honeymoon wears off, of course, you, know, you got a few months of, of just the honeymoon phase, you know, then all of a sudden you've got to learn how to live with each other. Then you've got to learn how to work through things. You've got to learn how to talk things out. And so as she's bringing things to me, I'm doing the same thing that I I'd never, I mean, I'd never dealt with this before. So I was just being dismissive, just like the home was that I grew up in. You know, like if I was bringing something, I learned very early on, I was not safe expressing myself in my house. And so like if I brought something uh, or if I said, hey, what you did said hurt me or whatever, and a lot of times I was the perpetrator, um, if I did that, the answer I would get if it was coming from my parents or whatever, it was just like, you just need to get over yourself. Just get over it. Um, and there's no owning up like, oh yeah, I can see how that would have hurt you. I can see how that would have uh, um, you know, affected you in some way. But so Emily's bringing her things to me in our first few months of marriage, and it continued for a few years, where she's bringing her hurts, her pain to me, 
that maybe I just ran roughshod over her or something in a conversation, being dismissive, and I'm using that same response. Well, you just need to get over yourself, okay? So what does she learn over those few years? She learned that I'm not a safe person to talk to. She learned that I don't really care about her. That's what I'm saying. And after a few years, she told me that. Like, I don't feel safe bringing these things to you anymore because I don't feel like you care about me. And so I had to be self-reflective and say, I can see how you would feel that way. And it hurts. It's painful when you don't, you don't understand, you know, when you don't know the right way, when you don't know God's way of dealing with things. And you haven't been, you're still, you're on this journey, you're on this Christian journey with Christ, but we're all at different phases. I'm still the same person that I was 10, 12 years ago when we first, well, I guess we've been married for 11 years this year. I'm still the same person, but I'm at a totally different place in my journey of growth with Christ, okay? So even if we find ourselves there, Jesus wants to help us grow in our journey into better relationships so that we can actually reflect him. We can actually reflect his character. All right. So eventually, uh, you know, if we don't own up to and validate the other person's experience, like in our case, Emily learned that I was not a safe person to bring her problems to because I didn't care. And I I wasn't showing her that I cared in any way, shape, or form. Eventually, I learned that even if I didn't see things the same way, I could acknowledge that what I had done or what I had said, I'm sorry that it hurts you. I'm sorry that I caused you pain. And I could own up to my side, but then I could also explain, like, I wasn't intending it that way. I wasn't trying to hurt you. I wasn't trying to be malicious. I was just trying to get something done, or I was just trying to do X, Y, Z thing. But at least I validated and said, you know, I'm sorry that I caused you pain. I can see how that would have, but I wasn't intending it that way. Here's the really hard part is when you actually were being intentional and you have to own up to that and say, yeah, I can see how that would have hurt. And yeah, you know what? I was being malicious right there. That's, that's when we have to be very self-reflective in being real and saying, I'm really sorry. I was, I was being a jerk right there. And so, but until we see it, we can't ask for God to come in and change the behavior. As long as we keep it being dismissive, as long as we keep ignoring the behavior, we don't ever come to the conclusion that I need any help, right? That's our whole sin problem. And so as we grow in our journey with Jesus, as we grow in our relationships, we learn these things, and praise God, he doesn't give up on us. He continues working with us as we learn these steps. So let's turn there. The Bible, Jesus gives us a prescription for working through forgiveness in our home relationships and in our church relationships. Let's go there to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. 
And I'll just begin reading there. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the word, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. All right, let's flesh this out. So mind you, first off, this is between two believers. This is between two people who have dedicated their life They want to be in Christ's kingdom. They want to reflect his character. These are two people who are on that path, and they desire to do his will. If you try to take this to another relationship where the person does not care at all about God, even if they claim to, this can be tough. But like when I took this, learned this, and I took it back to my family, it was like casting pearls before swine, okay? Jesus said, don't take and cast your pearls before swine. They will turn and rend you, okay? So that's what happened. So make sure that this method is being used among brothers and sisters who have dedicated their life and they want to be in Christ's kingdom because you both have that same internal desire, okay? We're going to be reflective. We're going to say, yeah, I can see how that would have hurt, or I can... You're being reflective enough to own up to your mistakes, humble enough to own up to your mistakes when they happen, because they will happen. Once you learn the process and you learn how to work through these things, there's healing. God does a great, amazing work in it because we're dependent on him to do it in the first place. God is very much in this process. Um. You have let's uh, let's go back to fifteen. He says, and I'll I'll say I'll say it I'll say it, I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase this. So this is co- somebody who's committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is somebody who's disciplining their life after the model of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was dependent on the Father at all times. So we are to be dependent upon Jesus Christ at all times. <clears throat> and it's Him doing the work in us. He has to do the softening aspect. Now, I don't know about you, but this idea of confronting issues head-on between individuals is totally lost in our culture. Completely lost. As a matter of fact, as I said before, a lot of times um, the person involved might be the last person to know because what happens is, is somebody hurts so-and-so, and then so-and-so goes and kind of gathers to themselves uh, people who think and will echo, be an echo chamber for them, like, oh, yeah, uh, or just gossip about. And so the person who may have offended you or you doesn't even know. There was many times early in our relationship that because, my, because of my way of thinking was just kind of so hard that I just kind of ran roughshod over my wife verbally or whatever, and um, I don't even know that I've hurt her because in my family, we dealt with each other in a different way, okay? And so there are times that we may offend somebody, we don't even know it. The goal of Jesus' way of doing things is to resolve this issue 
without anybody else involved. Okay? Just the two of you fix the problem. Fix the issue. Right? He doesn't want to involve everyone else. As a matter of fact, gossip, garnering support, all that, who is the one who does that? Who's the originator of all that gossip train stuff? Where did that start? Okay, so Lucifer. So when we mimic the same behavior, who are we reflecting? Okay, we're not reflecting God. That's not his way. We're reflecting Satan. That's our carnal nature. It's to go around as a talebearer, spreading gossip that may or may not be true. Jesus wants us to interact one-on-one to resolve the issue. That's actually the goal. This whole bringing other people in, sometimes it's helpful. What the, the second step is very helpful if you bring in two or three witnesses. Why? Because the two or three witnesses, hopefully you're going to somebody who is spiritually sound. Hopefully you're taking the issue to somebody that you trust. And they can say, you know what? I don't really know if, you know, I know so-and-so. You know, and I don't think that person meant it that way. I don't think they were, you know, trying to harm you in that way. Um, and so they can kind of help validate you, or they can be the person that either validates you and goes with you to the person, or they can help you kind of bring you back down and say, you know, uh, I think you might have taken that the wrong way because of past hurts, or you might have taken that the wrong way because of unresolved issues, right? So the other people engaged hopefully can help us. But like I'm telling you, if both people are on the road and they want to reflect Jesus Christ, even if I, ha- even if I didn't intend it, like so somebody comes to me saying that I offended them or I did something or said something wrong, I want to resolve that, okay? Because I want, even if, even if I didn't intend it that way, I can explain and say, I'm very sorry that that hurt you. I'm sorry, I can see how you might feel that way, but that was not my intention. And I want to resolve that then. I don't want 10 other people to be involved. I don't want to have to go before the church. Before the church. I want to be able to resolve the issue because I don't want to harm another person. That's Christ in us. We don't want to harm each other. We want to be on the same page. We want to be together. We want to be reconciled, especially in the case of the church, especially in the case of our own family. There, is, there are occasions, like I outlined last time, reconciliation isn't safe. You might be able to forgive the person to let go of the pain, to let go of the bitterness and the animosity that you have toward them, but reconciliation, if the person is not on the same page, if they don't, if they don't care at all about whether they hurt you or not, it's probably not a good idea to be reconciled in that case because they're just going to continue doing the same thing. Right? They've got that. I don't see, they don't see a problem with the behavior. So you need to know kind of what you're dealing with and you need to pray through these things. But in the case of the church, in the case of brothers and sisters, we, there is great healing and forgiveness because Christ is in the middle of it all, He's doing the work. And so as He convicts us of things, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that a person is bringing something to you, if you know you've hurt somebody, it's fine to reach out to that person and say, hey, I'm really sorry I did this. You know, please forgive me for this. I, I'm, I'm sorry that it's been so many years that we haven't spoken, um, and I know that this is on me. 
So please forgive me for this thing, this trespass that I've done against you. It's okay to go that way too. The goal of Jesus' method is for us to resolve these issues one-on-one. Not being a talebearer, not being a gossip. That only further serves to divide us because it's a satanic thing. Okay? As long as we're as long as we're imitating and mimicking Satan's way of doing things, it will just further divide us. But when we adopt Jesus' way, when we adopt his principles, we can experience healing because that's his method. That's his way of doing things. And when we experience healing in our homes, when we experience healing in the church, Jesus can do a great revival that will bleed out into our community. When our relationships are good at home, when our relationships are good at church, that is only going to bleed out into the community. Okay? And then the church, the body, will function as God intended it to do, which was to be an avenue of outreach to the community. Okay? But we've got to do this work of relationship building, this work of working through forgiveness. And I pray that it starts in your home. Once you can develop this in your home first, and each person knows and loves each other well enough that they can be vulnerable, that they can say, hey, you've got to be able to trust each other with that. But exactly like I was three or four years into my marriage, my wife had to tell me, I don't trust you. Because you've not validated anything I've ever brought to you before. Why would I bring another issue to you? You just dismiss everything I say and say, get over it. Okay, so I had to learn how to be self-reflective. I had to learn that that was not Christ-like behavior. Just, that's just one step of my journey, one part where I was out of harmony with God. But after, you know, practice, working through things, God, I'm, you know, God's way is the best way. If you want good relationships, God's way is always the best way. Always. I'm sure you've all experienced the opposite where there's so much unresolved issues and resentment that the relationship is not good, right? I'm sure we've all experienced that on some level at some point in time. God's way is the best way. And it's really tough, though, when you're dealing with a situation, a family member or whatever, where the person is not on the same page and they don't care about Christ's kingdom. They don't care about being in it. And so then you just have to pray and surrender that those feelings, those feelings of bitterness and resentment every day because they're never going to say they're sorry. They're never going to own up to it. Maybe they're dead. Maybe it's somebody that hurt you a long time ago and they're, they're already in the grave. There's no way that you, you're going to get an apology from them. There's no way that you're going to be able to work through this process. So it's something that we have to surrender to the Lord every day. Lord, please help me to, to get over this. Help me to get through this. I'm, I don't want to feel this anger and this animosity. Please help me. I want to have your spirit. I want to reflect your character. But being able to say what hurt us and being validated is healing. Being understood is healing. Okay, And when we see that the person cares about us, then growth happens. Progress happens. Because Christ is in the middle of all that. There are cases. I'm not advocating an amnesty version of forgiveness. I'm not advocating for that, okay? 
Amnesty is where we just say, well, let's just, let, just pretend like nothing ever happened. Nothing's ever discussed. I'm just going to forgive, and I'm going to pretend like nothing ever happened. You have to work through the process, okay? And there's also times that if the sin is so egregious, if it's something really bad where the person actually needs to be jailed for it, then they need to be jailed for it. I'm not saying just, I'm not saying if somebody, you know, uh, really harmed you as a child, like if you were molested or something of that serious nature, that person has to be, that, the perpetrator has to be held accountable for their actions. It's healing, for, it's hopefully healing for them to be able to face up and realize that this behavior is not okay. Okay? It's healing for both parties because the victim gets the vindication that, yes, this was wrong, and they have to suffer the consequences for that. They have to. Because if you just let them go on and just say, like, kind of old, I don't know, some sort of forgiveness that Christianity adopted, that, well, just forgive them and, and let's just gloss over this like nothing ever happened. No, that's not the right way to do it. It's not redemptive for that person because they'll just continue doing what they're doing. Okay? It has to be, there's, it needs to be redemptive for both parties. And for the victim, it's, it's healing for them to be able to know that, yes, their voice was heard, and yes, this person is suffering the consequences for what they did, especially when it's really egregious, and a really egregious thing. Okay? Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you, okay? so if it's a serious thing, then it needs to be handled the right way. But this is not, it's a sin, right? This is not a type of behavior, that, a type of, uh, 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 an aspect of their personality that I don't like. Okay? We're not trying to correct people just because they behave in a certain way that I don't like. This is if your brother or sister sins against you. Not just, she sings off key and I don't like that. So I'm going to try to correct her. Okay? So make sure that we're, we're, we've got it in the right context of that, we're, that there's an actually offense involved. <clears throat> I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to wrap up. If the offense was very egregious, the offender needs to face the consequences for what they did wrong. You're not ruining their life. They did. They did when they chose to do that. Okay? Um, there's, there's, the Bible is very clear about that. Uh, if somebody... Uh, anyway, I'll continue on. The main point is working through this progress process is the healing for the two people one-on-one. And as it is made more public, hopefully this is in a guilt, kind of shame-based society where if more people are involved, hopefully the other person experiences shame for what they've done and they will actually then own up to it. If more people are involved, hopefully they're experiencing conviction, shame, like, yes, there is a valid thing here. Two or three people are establishing it. And, you know, as a brother or sister, you really need to own up to this. And if it continues on and the person still maintains that there's nothing wrong with what they did, Jesus says, treat them as you would a publican or a tax collector. Okay, how do you treat a publican or a tax collector? Somebody who still needs to be redeemed. Somebody who's still, not that we're shunning them, putting them out, but they're not, they're not, um, they're not in harmony or walking in harmony with God's kingdom. The, 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 
the characteristics of his kingdom. So they still need, they still need to go through the redemptive process of receiving a savior. They still need to be, they need to be um, brought into that, that place of confession and repentance once again. They've clearly never experienced it in the first place. So they need to be, that's, that's, it's kind of like when Jesus says you just treat them that way, that means they still need to be redeemed. They still need to be, they still need to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's meant to be rehabilitative rather than, than um, punitive in design. Okay? The whole idea is for reconciliation and healing in this whole process. <clears throat> Many churches, many Christians, many people avoid this problem simply by disobeying Jesus and making no attempt to follow his principles. This process is just as much a part of Christianity as anything else. And many of us just simply disobey Jesus. And then he's no longer our Lord at that point. A Lord is somebody who is... Who is who's guiding you in your life, and you're being submissive to his will. That's what a Lord does. We're totally out of touch with what a Lord is in our world, but that's who a Lord is. We're disciplining our life after the example of Jesus Christ. Only as we recreate intimate community within our families, then the local church networks of accountability among different churches we can hope to apply these verses effectively. Without this application, sin and unforgiveness in the church will continue to compromise the unity and testimony of God's people. If our body fails to process waste properly, the body becomes toxic. If we fail to address issues and work through forgiveness the way that Jesus outlines, the church becomes toxic. It's the same It's the same thing. It's like an autoimmune disease. When the body is fighting against itself, the church won't grow and progress the way that Jesus intends for it to grow. I have had to pray the prayer of David many times in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I have had to pray that prayer so many times because we are totally blind to our sinfulness. We need the the searching, convicting power of the Holy Spirit to ever get us through this process. We're totally blind. I encourage all of us to search our hearts and minds and pray for the convicting power of the Spirit in our lives. This is very much the work of God. I'm going to ask you the same question that I called, that I, the same appeal that I used last time. Who do you need to call today? If you've hurt someone and you know that you have, you can call them and tell them and try to, and try to bring about healing in the relationship the way that Jesus desires. Who do you need to call? Who do you need to forgive? Just like a healthy athlete, we can do great things on a sporting field because Their body is functioning the right way. God can do great things through a church body that is functioning in the right way and is healthy. God can do great things. I don't know about you, but it's my desire that I want God to do a mighty work in our lives. 
I want God to do a mighty work in our homes. I want God to do a mighty work in our church. I want God to do a mighty work in our community. Because I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And this is part of that process to becoming healthy and reflecting His character. I don't know about you, but I want to see His kingdom come. I want to see His will be done. God is going to do a great work, and it begins with us making a decision, Lord, yes, I want to follow you even in this too. Even when it's unpleasant, even when it's hard, as soon as we take that first step, we'll find the power of God surging in and doing a marvelous work in our lives, a marvelous work in our relationships, a marvelous work in our church. Jesus says that one of the final signs of His second coming is that the gospel will be preached in the entire world and then the end will come. Jesus is going to be working through healthy church bodies to share the gospel at the end of time. And I want our church, I want our churches in this, in this, in this district, I want our churches in this conference to be able to reflect God in this way, in healed relationships. Before that day comes, he's looking to see his reflection in his church. It can start with you, it can start with your family, your home, this church. I encourage each one of us to pray and ask the Lord to do a mighty work and bring about His convicting influence in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that we can reflect His character more fully so, we can, so that we can forgive each other as God has forgiven us. Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to forgive? Let's pray. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy and your love. Thank you so much, Lord, that you don't ask us to do things you, without giving us the power to do so. All of your biddings are enablings. So if we would just but grab onto the promise by faith, we know that you can do a mighty work. Give us the boldness and strength to take the first step forward in this healing process. Lord, we want to experience more of your spirit. We want to do your will. We want to reflect your character. We want to see you come on the clouds of glory very soon. Lord, help us, dear God. Do do the work that only you can do and bring about healing in our lives and in our homes and in our church and in our community. We love you, Lord. Please move in a mighty way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.